The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. So I've got a buddy of mine who I was in law school with. He was the coolest guy I know. This is the coolest friend I have. Grew up in the Midwest in America. Wanted to get a degree. He didn't want to go to a regular college. So he went to a college in China and got a degree in Chinese. And then he was bored. He came back. He went to Yale. When he was done with Yale, he went to Harvard. And then after that, Nebuch, he came to Columbia. We became very close. And he's the coolest guy ever. He drove a motorcycle. He carried a gun. He was like James Bond with a brain. That's who he was. And he was very involved in an organization called FIDF, the Friend of Israel. And FIDF donates infrastructure to Israeli soldiers. And he was very influential. And he one time went over to Israel to have a dedication to the rec center that he built for the soldiers. And he was talking to the people there. And they're finding out where you're from. Background, blonde hair, blue eyes, perfect English. Chinese, fluently, the whole deal. Flies back to America, gets a call from some Israeli, says, listen, we had a gift to give you at the closing, the ceremony, you weren't there. Please come back to Israel. We want to give it to you in person. He goes, really? Just send it. He goes, no, you give to us, we give to you. Okay. Gets a free flight to El Al. Back in those days that you now in El Al, you, you walk through. Remember the days where they took you down and they had a bus? You know what I'm talking about? You get to actually, when you land, you landed on the ground. And he landed, he went to the ground, and there was a black car waiting for him. So, okay, picks up the black car. Goes straight to bypass all security, driving down to Yerushalayim. And about, I don't know, a few miles, he said, before Yerushalayim, the car immediately turns off the road. And he's like, oh, okay. This is the moment. I don't know if they're Israelis. Maybe they're Al-Qaeda. I don't know if they found me. The car now is bumping along a dirt road till he gets all the way to the end. And he gets to the end and he sees in a small little cafe are three other Israelis eating olives, drinking black coffee, hummus. Smoking cigarettes, talking a million miles an hour. You know, and he comes in and they're just talking around him. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know if they're going to kill him. If they're going to hug him. He doesn't know what's going on. And they sit down and he goes, why am I here for? They go, you know, we have a branch opening up in our intelligence department. You know, we're trying to get more in the Asian market. You're blonde, you're blue eyes, you're a clear Zionist, you speak perfect English, and you speak perfect Chinese. We'd like for you to apply to being an intelligence officer. He turns to me and goes, after the meeting, he calls me and goes, should I go? I'm like, are you crazy? Like, what, are you going to be like a lawyer now? Like, this is how, like, spy movies start. Of course you should go. She goes, I'm going for it. I'm like, okay, good luck. Easy for me to say. You know what I'm saying? So he leaves for five years. I don't hear a word from him. Five years later, I get a call. I'm coming back to the Midwest to see my parents. I live on the East Coast. I said, listen, come to JFK. It's an airport. Spend the night by me. Take a flight to the Midwest to see your parents. He goes, sure. Comes over to the night. I go, tell me everything. And he tells me a story like I'll never forget. He says, I got there, and apparently the army's harder than I thought. Right? We think like, in a, you just run on the treadmill, you can figure out the army. No, it's not like that. It's a lot harder than anybody can appreciate. And I went through hours of training, and you don't just become an officer. You've got to apparently qualify through basic training. And then when you get to a certain level, then you can be picked, apparently. So he's going through it and going through it and going through it and going through it. And he's spending literally five years about to quit. Every time he quits, they help him through it. And he gets to his last training. And in his last training, he has to do one last test. This is his last test. If he passes this test, he qualifies to be a level of an officer that he can apply to do this final, this intelligence thing. So he gets all the way there. And in the last test, the way it works is they give you, they teach you how to read coordinates so that you can pick some. But apparently, if someone Gothby gets kidnapped, you can't just weighs it, apparently. You don't like, well, Ahmed Street. Oh, I get it. I'll stop for a shawarma. What's the easiest way through Lebanon? Okay, I'll go through Lebanon. Apparently, they give you coordinates and you got to learn how to get there on your own. Okay. So they teach you how to read coordinates and they take you to the desert. And you do exercises trying to pick people up within a period of time studying coordinates. And he had to do this. And all he had to do was get to a location in a certain period of time. He passes. Easy. Last test. He's telling me the story. 
goes in the morning, comes into the tent in the middle of the desert somewhere, and they tell him you're going here, gives him the coordinates, he opens up the map, he finds exactly where it is, takes his guy, they take a jeep, and they're off. Ten minutes, five minutes, three minutes, he's watching his watch, he sees the location, the distance, he's like, cakewalk, I'm going to be fine. Two minutes in, all of a sudden he hears, pop. He turns around, the back tire blows out. And he starts screaming, you didn't check the tire, you didn't check the tire to his guy. He goes, I checked the tire. And the, the jeep spins out of control, they get out. He's yelling at his people. How could you forget to check the tire? What are you, crazy? Fix it, fix it. His watch, the time is ticking down a minute, 30 seconds. Now he's 10 seconds. And he goes, forget you guys. And he starts to run on his own. He's one minute late. He's two minutes late. And he comes running at this tiny little shack that they, they put him to that he picked. And he comes running, and there's a little door, he said. And he comes running at the door, and as he touches the door, the door is locked. And there's a sign that says, you failed. And he's heartbroken. Five years for the fire to blow out. So he goes back, and he's so sad. And he goes back into his tent, and his, his commander goes to him and says, listen, it happens. It happens. Relax. Calm down. It's a fluke. Tire blew out. Like, we, we're watching you. Tomorrow morning, you'll get another chance. Okay. Next day comes. Tent, 5 o'clock, finds his coordinates. He's got, he looks at the spot. They put it at the spot near a sand dune. You have to park, and they have to run around this whole sand dune. Picks his guys, and they're off. 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 3 minutes. They park the jeep. Tire's okay. They're like, tire's okay. They park the jeep. They get out the five guys. As they're running around the sand dune, he hears, ow, ow, ow. He turns around, and he sees that one of his guys is limping. He goes, what happened? He goes, I don't know. I think I turned my ankle. He goes, are you crazy? And they're like, what do we do, sir? They tried to carry him, but he was slowing them up, and he's looking at his watch, and he's got three minutes left and two minutes left. And he's like, he doesn't know what to do. He goes, you know what? Just leave him here. We'll find him later. He goes, but sir, go just leave him. He's, he's holding us up, and he's yelling at him. You're not running carefully enough, and now there's two minutes left. And on his own, he starts running for the thing, but now he's 20 seconds late. He's 30 seconds late. He comes up to that door, 40 seconds late, and it's locked. This time, he's not sad. He is mad. Turns to God and goes, really, God? I come here for five years. This is what the luck I get. Oh, he goes, you know what? It's not God. You know who it is? It's the Israelis. Yeah, they don't want an American guy to win. I know what's going on here. I can, I can finish it. I know what's going on here. I know. You know what? They're trying to fail me. I know what's happening. He comes back to the tent. He said to his barracks, and he ripped the place to shreds. And the guy comes up to me, and he almost attacked his commander. And he goes, you guys are trying to make me feel. You don't want me to win. I can tell. He goes, relax. Relax. He goes, really? Just, just happens? He goes, relax. He goes, we're going to meet about you in an hour. I'll tell you what happens if you fail or pass. Two hours later, he comes back and goes, listen, you play baseball? He goes, yeah. He goes, you have a rule, three strikes. Tomorrow, last strike. You don't pass tomorrow, they say. Wasn't meant to be. One more chance. And he says to me, I was sure as day that they were going to fail me. They were just going through the formalities. He goes, I went to bed that night. I was calm. And I spent the whole night thinking about my whole experience. You know, it's been, you know, <laughs> the call... The jeep, the, the road, the hummus, they asked me to come. And, and he's just remembering, remembering, remembering. It's just so amazing how long it's been taking. And he's just having like a, a memory trip. And as he's going through, he goes, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The guy that night, he said something. There was one guy that said something that really got me excited about the Israeli army. What did he say? Oh, yeah. He said that what makes an Israeli officer is that you never leave your man behind. We're a brotherhood. Ah, I love that. Whatever happened to that guy? Huh. Oh, yeah, that guy. Three years later, I almost failed the course. And I remember they were trying to convince me to stay. And I saw that guy in the distance. It's so funny. Where's that guy? He goes, oh, yeah, remember. Oh, when I was donating that building, I remember the guys talking about they were messing with them on some tests. What was that? What was that? What was that? 
And he's trying to put the pieces together. And he's going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Because wait a second. They're not trying to fail me. They're trying to pass me. I'm taking the wrong test. The test isn't whether I can get to the door in time. The test is what happens if I'm on the way to a door and what do my men go down? Because what it means to be an Israeli officer, you never leave a man behind. They're all t- they're trying to pass me. I forgot the lesson. They're testing to see if when all goes bad, if I leave my guys, I'm taking the wrong test. He said he got up at 3 a.m. when he figured this out. He dressed in his uniform and waited by the door. Five o'clock. New coordinates. I got it. Two Jeeps. No problem. We are on this location. He tells his team, Jeep 1, Jeep 2, and they're off. Ten minutes. Smooth. Eight, seven, five, two. Smooth, smooth, smooth. You can see in the distance. And as he's ready to see his place, on the walkie-talkie, he goes, sir, we got a problem, we got a problem. The other Jeep, the other Jeep is going through problems. And he can feel the anger, and he pushes it right down. He goes, I got this. And he spins the Jeep around, and he helps out Jeep 1 and Jeep 2, and he secures the soldiers. And like the leader that he always was, he takes care of his men. He watches them. He protects them. And he knows he's missing his time. But he did exactly what he thinks was the right thing to do. And he turns around a minute late, two minutes late. And he goes and he runs for the door, but he knows his men were taking care of and he did exactly what was right. And he comes at that door and he's two minutes late and three minutes late. And as he goes at the door three minutes late, he's expecting for it to be locked and it's open. And he opens the door. By the way, if this had happened in like, you know, South Africa or in America, they'd be like balloons and they would call grandma and they would take pictures and they would have a kiddish. It's Israelis. They're like, they said, go do something important or something. You know what I'm saying? You know why we don't see God in our lives? Because we're missing the sea of seas, the big sea of confidence. We don't think we're worthy of God. We believe in him, but we don't think he believes in us. We are sure as day that God's got more to do than just take care of us. He's not working spices for me. Charlie, you don't even know who I am. Trust me when I tell you I'm not that important. Any parent have a kid tell you that and you tell the kid you have no idea how much you mean to me? That's God to us. And we live our lives and we think the test of life is getting stuff. Hopefully God hooks us up we want. And we can go a whole life thinking that it's what I want, right? And God's hooking me up because I have it all figured out. But we're taking the wrong test. The test is not getting things. The test is becoming something. And every second of every day, God is spending his life making us into commandos. And if we can just stop taking our test and start asking, what do you want from me? What are you telling me? What did that mean to me? When you can see God in the spices of life, and you become, whether you win or lose, whether they pat you on the back or not, whether you get more or less money or success, what you become is truly successful. Success in Judaism is truly the ability to smell the spices, to walk with confidence that the creator of humanity has changed the world and is speaking to you every single day, guiding you through life. If we can just be humble enough to have the confidence in ourselves and have the communication to hear what he wants from us every moment. And that is true success. Thank you very much. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.